Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Bestowing the Brush. This is your host, Dallas Noctegal. I have yet again today a guest that I'm very excited for you to meet. Uh, we are talking today with Tilly Dillahay. She has written two books, one I read last year and then the other one I read recently, which we're talking about today. Her book that I read first is called Broken Bread. It is how to stop using food and fear to fill spiritual hunger. And I read it at a time where it was October, it was soup season, we were going to be making some bread, and I just felt so free to just bless my kids with feasting and enjoying food. And I think to some degree, uh, as women, if you are listening to this episode and are a homeschooling mom, you have probably had some type of battle with food and fear. So I recommend that book, but the book we are talking about today is Seeing Green. Don't let envy color your joy. So welcome to the show, Tilly. Thank you for coming on. It's so good to be with you. I'm excited. Yes. I. Uh, what I really appreciated about this book was how you casted envy in a way that I'd not thought about it before, but just various ways that we um, steal God's glory, really, and try to elevate ourselves through the gifts that we've been given. Is that kind of a fair assessment of how you kind of were looking at the idea? Yeah. 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 I wanted to see, I wanted to see the things that we envy in other people as facets of God's nature, things that he had given us. Um, so I, I think I, I call them like borrowed glories or shards of glory um, that that he gave us as gifts. And I think the, the way that I saw it was um, that you're always encountering these glories in other people. So you have to make decisions all the time about how you're going to respond to glory in other people, because you're always going to, you're always going to encounter it. Um, people are glorious in these ways because they were made in the image of the father. Um, so a lot of this, do you want me to just <laughs> talk about why I, I know art is kind of what we're zooming in on today. Um, that's a big kind of the opening, the opening story in this book is about art mm -hmm. um, that I was envying. Do you want me to just tell that story? Please do. Please tell um, us the reason why you wrote the yeah. book and what inspired you to do that. And you can kind of right. give us a little bit of background on you, a little yeah. bio. Okay. Yeah. So I am, I live in Tennessee. Um, I grew up in the Nashville area. My, my dad was in music and he's a Christian artist and um, seven homeschooled kids in that family. Um, so I, I understand the homeschooling world and really enjoyed it. Um, and now I'm, now I'm a pastor's wife out in the, in the, the country outside of Nashville and we are homeschooling our young children. So that's exciting. I know that Homeschooling is a big part of the world here in, in this podcast. Um, and we, um, so back to my, my family of origin, very creative family. Um, all, of, all of us were musical or artistic in some way. And it was almost like, it was very, it was so encouraged. I remember feeling like if I had decided to go to school to be like a doctor or a lawyer or something, I would almost, almost have felt like I was, um, like I'd have to 
to rebel a little bit to do something like that, you know, you know, like with some families, you can't, you're not allowed to go be an artist, but it was just, it was very much part of the family culture. So that's what I really mean. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I actually put out a CD of jazz cover tunes when I was 16 with my dad, um, kind of producing that record. And then I went off to college, um, later that year. And while I was there, I was just, I was really struggling in life in general. I was, I was just kind of, um, undisciplined and depressed and, uh, life was just hard all around, but, and I'm just, I'm saying that just to set up the story that, um, one day the sisters that were just below me in the family lineup, they, they had been working on original music in secret and they announced that they were kind of ready to let people hear it for the first time. They've been very, very private about it, I should say, um, before then. And then they booked a coffee shop for like a weeknight and just had a bunch of family and friends come in and hear what they've been working on. So we went to hear them and um, they, they played just these beautiful songs and these gorgeous harmonies. And this was like, this was like 2010. Um, so just, there was a, a movement of, um, indie music was, was sort of just becoming a thing in, in the Nashville area and what they were doing just fit really well in that, in that movement. And so I just, I remember even from the very first night of hearing them noticing that I was not feeling joy when I listened to their music, I was feeling pain. And, um, and as the years went by and they got better and I had to, to look and we just kind of watched while they made albums and started a band with a couple of brothers and went on the road. And then every, every time they, that I heard them perform, they had had so much more experience that they just were better and better basically. And, um, and it just got more and more painful. So I, my, my relationship with them really suffered. I was just distant from them. I didn't, we were kind of out of touch for those years. And then years later, we are, all three of us got married within one year. And I remember having to go stand up in their weddings and just realizing while I was standing in their weddings, I don't know them. Like here I am to support them and I don't really have a relationship with them at all. And it, I think that was sort of a breaking point for me to go back and and just say, what is causing this? What is it that's so painful um, where I can't, I can hardly bear to witness the glory that's in their life. And I didn't have that language at the time, but um, around the same time I was reading a lot of C.S. Lewis and reading this essay called The Weight of Glory um, that I love and would highly recommend reading. And um, he just, in that essay, he talks about the weight of glory that will that will fall on us at the end of time when we stand before the father and we, because of the work of Christ, he's going to look at us and say, well done. And we'll basically, we'll get approval from God, the one who, who we were made to seek approval from. Um, and it will be sort of a well done that, that matters more than any other well done we've ever gotten. And I don't know some, something about that scene, just picturing that scene. Um, I applied it to this situation of envy and I, I started thinking about the things in people that bothered me so much because they were, I I was hating things in other people, not because they were so bad, but because they were so good. And I had never 
thought about envy. I'd never diagnosed it as envy until that season. Um, but you don't hear people talk about envy very much, actually. I, it's not something I ever really heard friends talk about or the church talk about. Um, so I felt like I was kind of starting from scratch when I began reading and writing on it. And then it developed into this book. Um, so I sort of structured it around glories that I identified that seem like envy tends to follow these, these glories. Um, there are obviously many others, but I had seven that I, that I structured the book around. So there's like, um, physical beauty and wealth and, um, competence and intelligence and, um, relational glory like that sort of, I'm, I'm left out of this, this close intimacy between other people. Um, and then one of them is, is artistic glory. So the glory of people who are telling stories well through visual arts or music or stories, um, you know, prose or, um, yeah. So I just, this obviously it's very personal. I, I had to have my sisters read the book as I was writing it. Cause I couldn't let anyone else. It's very clear who they are. I couldn't like anonymously put the story yeah. in. So, um, right. so they were, yeah, they were the first readers basically. And they, um, they sort of gave the green light and, and there were some, there were some very like healing relation, relational things that happened in there with me just confessing to them and, um, and the relationship start basically starting, starting again. So today I have a, a really great relationship with my sisters. We're raising children together and, um, there's some of my favorite friends. So my Lord has been really gracious to me in that way. But, um, but yeah, I, um, I understand the pain, like the sting of envying the glory of, of artistic talent, because it is, I think it's one of the most potent glories that there are. I think there's a reason why envy, envy and artists, I mean, are just, you always see, you always see, see envy among artists. It's very common. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would have to agree with that. That really struck me on page 110 of your book. You say, art is one of mankind's favorite idolatries. There's music, television, film, theater, painting, sculpture, architecture, graphics, and the written word, and we're eating it all up. We live in a world that places an almost mythical importance on art. We believe that even when we get rid of any allegiance to a knowledgeable higher power, art is so emotive and lovely and glorious that it can be our replacement source of meaning. Um, so the old false gods had priests or oracles or witch doctors. Now we have artists. And I, I really, I almost see it too, like in the online space, it's more sometimes talked about as creators. They mm -hmm. won't say artists, but they'll say, oh, creators or visionaries or mm -hmm. um, they have all these wonderful titles for what they do, but they make some type of content. That's what they spend their life doing. Mm -hmm. Um but I think, too, there's a tendency, especially especially it seems in homeschool circles where we really do put some high importance or reverence or awe mm -hmm. for someone who has some artistic talent. And mm -hmm. um, yeah, why do you think that we exalt artistic ability so much in our culture? I think it's because we are made in the image of God who is a storyteller. I think that's, that's what I always just come back to, that we have this 
this kind of insatiable appetite for stories because stories are, are, are meaning and God is telling a story. That's what he's doing in, in history and um, in redemptive history that what he, that's kind of what he's about. And I just think that um, this is one of the ways we image him that it's, it, it has to do with making meaning out of our, out of our lives. And so um, we need that. Like even, even the, the, the people who are the most dead to God himself, um, they still require meaning. And so they still have an appetite for story. Um, so I just, I guess I just think if you can make, if you can do that well, um, there will always be a market for that. There will always be people who want to hear. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's just, I think it's just, it's potent and powerful. Yeah. And I really appreciate it in your book. I think it might be on the next page where you're, you're talking about how, boys usually tell stories where it's war and girls are usually acting mm-hmm. out stories where it's romance and it's kind of both in art. You have romance and war and that's kind of the gospel and that's church mm-hmm. redemption, redemptive history. And I think that's so exciting to just know that we're already a part of this grander scheme and we just do it without thinking and it's mm-hmm. natural for us in some way. Yeah. Um, And then I like how you talk about artists as warriors. Can you kind of clarify what you mean by that and tell us kind of how you think that works out and what our role in society should be as Christians and as artists? Yeah. Um, So I just think that everybody tells, everybody um, makes a statement about what is true in their actions and, and in the, in their words, um, so we're all, all of us are all the time saying something about what is true and what is false, what is real and what is not real and what's important, what's not important. So, um, if we are truth tellers and if God is a truth teller, um, and if we're Christians, then we have been, we've been conscripted to, to the team that is telling the truth. And I just, I think as a Christian, so in this, you know, in this case of, of envy now, if I was to envy another artist, I would be another Christian artist. That means I am envying someone who is literally fighting on my team. Um, they're on the same side as me. And so when I see them with an ability to, to make strokes that, that slay lies and that tell the truth about what is beautiful and good and true, um, my response should be to cheer because they are, that just means they're, they're winning victories that should bring me joy because I'm, I'm also, um, I'm fighting under the same general. So I think if we're, if we're envying another Christian artist, then it's, it's because we've forgotten what side we're really on and we've forgotten who we're fighting for. Um, so yeah, I just, I mean, just if you think of even spiritual warfare and, and knowing that Satan is, is the father of lies um, and that he's always active, then you take it seriously that we are in the middle of a war and um, we may not be physically fighting anyone, but we are, we are 
fighting against lies and and we're not we're not fighting against an enemy that is inactive and doesn't care what's happening so I don't know um I just that was one of the I think that was one of the convicting things that that the Lord showed to me over this process is just like you if you are so concerned for your own glory that you can't handle another artist making something better than than what you could make um then you have utterly forgotten who you are and what you're about and and why both of you are are making art in the first place yeah so well said and really love that imagery of being under a general that we're on the same side and how can you be against your comrade there in the war when you're you have the same orders <laughs> right and if you're and if you're in being someone who's not a christian who's not on your side then the response is you know envy is kind of beside the point at that point you are you're gonna you need to get to work fighting lies with truth you know it's not about um who's making good stuff it's about who's telling the truth so mm-hmm yeah, I really, um, that's, that's so good for me to just keep on chewing on that because I do know some artists who are Christians who I'm pretty close with and and otherwise some people who aren't believers that I also are, am kind of in the same space with. Um, so yeah, thinking about those things a little differently because of my standing in Christ, I think that is something to come back to time and time again, what specific encouragement would you give to the artists of any age who are listening right now? We have whole families who listen. We have moms who listen, who maybe want to learn how to sketch and do plein air painting or to work on some new handicraft skills, Mm -hmm. um, as well as children just being raised in this and learning themselves. So what, what would be your advice to those people? I think I just, I would say go for it. (laughs) I just think um, that it is not a waste of time to be involved in things like that. I think that's one of the, for me at least, that's one of the big temptations to to not get involved with something like that or or to neglect something I already enjoy doing is like, there's so many, there's so many important things to be doing just in life. You know, there's, we're busy and I think devoting some of your time to something that's just beautiful for the sake of beautiful of being beautiful is we can feel like is that important enough or is that serious enough um you know as a christian should i be just should should every moment of my day be spent doing something more spiritual i don't know i I just think we have kind of mixed up categories sometimes for for what is worthwhile um sometimes Mm -hmm. we even you know i think this 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 crosses over into some of what what i wrote about in the food book that I think we can be distrustful of things that are physical, um, things that are only physical is what we would say. Like, like why, why should I spend this much time learning how to bake the perfect bread when, um, when maybe I ought to be evangelizing or praying instead, basically. And I just think we're, we're overlooking, if we think that way, we're overlooking the fact that God made this world a physical world with with spiritual elements in it. It's a physical and a spiritual uh, reality that we live. So, um, so beauty is is worth our time. 
if, if it's worth God's time, then it's worth our time. And it's something that he clearly has, he clearly cares about. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I just, I think permission to spend a certain amount of time and, and to know, know that there is, um, there are reasons to spend time on something that is good and true and beautiful. Amen to that. Still, and you're going to be doing that for eternity. That's, you know, there's an eternal element to this that we're, we're planning for a long, a long future. It's, it's the life, life we have now is short, but eternity is going to be very long and full of these kinds of things. So there's no reason why we shouldn't be preparing for that. Yeah. Oh, that's a good way to think of it. And, um, I think that permission granted is very encouraging. Permission granted, Mom, to go get a weaving project done, mm-hmm. <laughs> to go start something. And we don't have to be good at it at first. And, of course, we're not going to be. We won't be. <laughs> we most certainly will not be at first. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. We've been trying to work on these pine needle baskets, and it was huh. fun to go foraging for them. But then the actual putting them together was a little bit more than our hands could handle. Wow, <laughs> and I, I said, need to get on I didn't see that. I've never oh seen man, my needle it's, uh, I did not think it was possible, and I am it's surprised sticky. by what people can do. It's like uh, you kind of just make a gauge of wire with those pine needles, and oh. then you sew them to the next layer, and you just build it up that way. Wow, pretty cool. I know. Who would have thought? Yeah, I would not have thought of that. But we're we're gonna have to put it on the shelf because there's too many tears and there's not enough hand strength yet. So we gotta uh-huh. <laughs> we gotta get some other skills under our belt before that. But yes, encouragement mm-hmm. to keep going when it's hard too, as much as you can. Um, but knowing that you're not going to be perfect right away, I think, is super important at the start of something. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I wanted to talk a little bit about sibling rivalries. You came from a homeschool family, seven kids. There is that element to the school day where if everybody sits down for music lesson time, art time, um, you've got maybe the kiddo in the corner who refuses to do something because he's not good at it and sees Mm -hmm. his older brothers, older sisters doing better. Or you've got um, the mom who's maybe kind of um, is at a loss for what to say when those rivalries spring up. How could you help us with our family culture around these artistic things with with the envy that kind of Mm -hmm. makes us go do these crazy things and say these things to each other? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's really important just at the outset of of this um, just to begin by saying not everyone's going to be you you gravitate towards things that you're naturally good at and everybody is that way so it's it's very natural to want to do things that you're better at and not want to do something that you're not um, a natural at but I do think it's important at the outset to say in our you know in this family you're going to try something you know five times before you quit or you're going to um I don't, know, I don't know how you could, what kind of language you could use around that, but basically just be a trying family, like a family that tries things and tries things they've never done and, um, and works on it a little bit until you at least kind of have the basics of it. And then you can decide whether to put more time into it or not. But um, 
that was something that really served our family, I think, growing up is that we we were hobbyists. And so we had many things. Of course, that meant we were starting and quitting a lot of things through the years. But, um, <laughs> but you know, it was it was fun. It was a fun place to grow up to be. You had you had a, a vision of the world as wide, wide open to possibilities and things to try. And um, and if you have many things going on like that in the home, then you don't. I do think I think it's concerning to me when I see a family where it's like we are all about sports, like all we do is basketball, you know, and so there's basically one thing there for the sons to be good at. And if you're not good at it, you know, tough, basically. Um, yeah. And, you know, because like dad is all about bas- basketball and that's all he that's all he values. And so I do think it's, it's as far as the rivalry goes, um, it is it is important to take care about how you speak about these gifts because you will have gifts among your children and they will be in varying degrees and they'll probably be in different things. Um, but if I think it's, it's very important that there just be an excess of praise just flowing freely among the members of the family. Like we practice praising our siblings. We practice, you know, you're getting a lot of praise from me and dad. Um, they're used to being, to being praised when they work on something and they're used to, being invited to praise their siblings, you know, like, look, you know, look what Susie did. Let's, what do you think about it? Um, so I don't know. I just, I think when there is not, instead of there being a deficit in, in just natural affirmation among family members, if there's an overflow of that, it doesn't feel so scarce. You know what I'm saying? Um, because I do think that what you're really worried about when your parents are noticing something your sibling does and you don't do it as well. What you're worried about is there's a scarcity here. There's a scarcity of praise. There's a scarcity of, of, um, blessing. There's a scarcity of, um, real, of just like relational connection. And so I need to, I need to jump after the little that there is. Um, and in order to do that, I have to be the best. And so that's not how God's world is. That's not how God himself is. He's a God of, of plenty and of there's enough of him to go around. Um, and I just think it's really wonderful when we can, even in some small measure, can communicate that reality to our kids. Like there is enough, there's enough to go around. Um, there's enough talent to go around. There's enough of us to go around. And you don't have to be good at this one thing um, in order to get affirmation from us, you know, from your parents. Um, so I don't know. I, and I'm speaking as one who has a six year old and a four year old and a two year old. And, um, um, of course, you know, jealousy crops up even very early on, but I don't have to deal with, um, the, the later stages of that yet. So I, you know, I have, I have little experience on the parent side. I just have experience on the on the child side. Um, and mm-hmm. I would say um, my parents did very well. I mean, I don't think, I don't think there's anything my parents did to, um, to tease envy out of me, um, you know, was there in my heart. But, but I do think, I do think that, you know, you notice what your parents value, you know, you know, what's important to them by, by what they talk about. Um, like, you know, if your mom is talking about dieting all the time, and losing weight and who's, who's lost weight and who hasn't lost weight. And, you know, among your acquaintance, then, you know, 
that if you're, if you're not thin, then she notices that. Like, you know, that that's important to her. If you hear her talking about it all the time and in a similar way, you know, if your dad is talking constantly about who makes how much money, um, and who's, um, successful in, in this or that kind of worldly way, then the sons are going to pick up on that. So I don't know. I just, I think obviously being a parent means that our idols are going to be exposed and we all know that, but this is one area where your kids, when they grow up, they will be be able to identify probably verbally. They'll be able to identify what was important to mom and dad. So. Mm-hmm. That is really helpful. It's that's kind of encouraging me to think about what I, how I speak of people or, or what I do talk about in the home. Cause as you were talking, I was thinking, gosh, like I know we're not football people and we live in a football state. And so sometimes I wonder if we're just like very derogatory towards uh, yeah. people who play sports, you know, cause it's just the culture around here. And I mean, my husband and I are two artists, so it's just like, uh-huh. we're so That's on funny. the opposite yeah, we, spectrum. We definitely joke about like what, I think the Lord just as a practical joke is going to give us like a super sporty (laughs) son who doesn't like to read. And then we'll, we'll just look at each other. Like, what do we do? I don't even even know the basic rules of these games. So, yeah. 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 You want your child to be freed to accept what they love doing or what they're talented in. And you don't want them to feel shame about, um, about that. So I definitely should, Watch what I say for sure. <laughs> what is my value system here? Um, that was so helpful. Thank you. I wanted to also ask you, um, now that you've written a couple books, but you've also written music and you perform music or have in the past, what is your, both both of those are art forms. What are you finding is very uh, fulfilling to you or just makes you more excited? Is it more writing, more using words, or more composing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, yeah, so the music, it's been a really long time, really, since I did music. And around the time that I just really stopped pursuing it, stopped singing in public, really, um, stopped writing music, I I just found, I think I had found around that time that writing like sitting down and writing prose um, was more important to me. And it was something that I, I thought I was better at. And it was also something that I just couldn't let, like it, it wouldn't let go of me. You know, it wasn't even that I felt like, well, I better work on, I better work on this. It was just, it had always been part of my life. And it, it always was, even when no one was reading anything, I was still writing, you know, journals and I don't know, just there's, there comes a point when you realize this is part of my life because I can't not do it. And music was part of my life because it was, I think more because it was part of the culture I was in and, um, and because I wanted, there was just like an, like kind of an audience seeking thing that was an element in it. I just, I don't know. I've, and you know, it's, I'm saying that it's ironic because it's just in the last six months or so that I've had, I've picked up my ukulele again, you know, just, just kind of fiddling around again for the first time in a long time and um, really enjoying it. So, and, and like help, like playing the uke while we do family worship. So, um, you know, that's a use, it's a use for, for that, that I never visioned or, or thought about when I was a, a single gal. 
Um, but it's been really enjoyable to the family. So I don't know. I, I would say writing is definitely the number one thing as far as, as artistic, um, effort. It just, it never goes away even when I don't have to do it. So I think that's how, you know, it's going to be part of your life forever. But, um, Mm -hmm. but I also, you know, I used to paint with, I used to do oil painting. I haven't painted in, in, in years, but, um, every once in a while I still like to draw something. So it's just, um, there's a big difference, I think, between something that you just, you fiddle with or, um, that you, you do hoping, hoping someone will see it and the thing that you just do because you love to do it. Oh yeah. I, I feel that as well. And when you become a mom, you're at a time premium too. So those things yeah, that do tend right. to take more time, right? Those, yeah. Right. Those that's when you lose your thing. hobbies for a little while or you lose yeah. some hobbies. Yeah. And you find out yeah. which ones are the ones you're willing to get a babysitter for, you know, and mm-hmm. uh, that's how you know. And some things too, I've picked up that I used to really enjoy a lot as a kid or as a teen. And I, as I'm trying to get back into it again, it's like, this doesn't really do it for me anymore. I don't know why, but I'll still keep all the supplies and maybe my daughter daughter will want to try it, but yeah, I think it's okay to put things down too. And to, like you said, like become a professional hobbyist, mm-hmm. pick something new up and try it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's, I know that as the years pass and my kids get a little older, there's so much potential for things to do together that, you know, writing on a, on a computer is not something I can do with my kids. Um, but a lot of those other hobbies that I've set down, I think will be something I could do with the kids. So I'm excited for that, for the, the shared thing. I already have a, you know, one of my daughters loves, will cook with me almost every time that I cook right now. So, you know, that's practical and, <laughs> and fun. So yeah, it's exciting. It's, it's exciting to think about you know, the different personalities of your kids and then all the time out in front of you, you know, Lord willing to just, um, learn things together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The world is our oyster. Many an opportunity. Right. I wondered if you have ever struggled with perfectionism in your life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, I think there are a few areas of life that I can be that way about. Um, but overall I'm more of a, of a laid back personality, I would say. So there are a lot of things that I'm happy to do on a sub, on a subpar level. So I don't know. I, I would say it's probably, it's not a pattern. It, it's probably not a pattern. Um, it's really okay. hard to let go. It's hard to let go of a piece of writing. Um, when it's t- when the deadline comes, it's hard to let go of a piece that has to go. Mm. Um, but even that, you know, the more often you do it, the more you get used to just being like, well, you're never going to get it exactly the way you want it. You just, you have to live with that. So, yeah. So yeah. Why is that something that, is that a big deal with you and, and hampering you from doing something because yeah. you can't do it perfectly? Well, it can be for sure. I've seen growth in that area in my life, but I do know it's a pretty common theme with people mm-hmm. who listen mm-hmm. um, or who people who want to get into it or know that, you know, a lot of people have that one child who is a perfectionist that mm-hmm. they just, they want to try to encourage along the lines mm-hmm. of drawing and painting. 
um, making music. So I just wondered if you had any wisdom to speak to that area, if you had struggled yeah. with it before, if you, if there's mm-hmm. just something that you think about when you get to those points where you get a little bit balled up and you want to have more control than what God's given you right then. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if it, that's exactly the way that it was. I do know that I tended to quit things really quickly if they didn't come naturally because there were a lot of hobbies that seemed like they came they came naturally right on the front end, front end and then I would develop them to the point of um, being just, you know, able to, like passively able to do it, like playing piano or... Um, or even painting, you know, I'd get to a point of like, oh, I can do something nice. And then I would not be willing to put in work past that point. So just a lot of, a lot of starting things, I think, without, without necessarily perfecting or, or, or continuing with them. So more of like a quitter than, than a, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Which I have problems with that as well. I think it's like, I experience the, the extremes of these things. Mm-hmm, right. <laughs> I guess I don't fall anywhere in the middle. That's kind of funny, but um, I would love to know anything that you're working on currently. Are you writing anything right now or are you adding to your blog, which I have loved reading, by the way. Um, if you want to talk about that and send people to where they can find you online or um, to a resource that you think would be helpful for them after hearing what we've discussed today. Okay. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, so our, our, me and my husband kind of blog back and forth on our, not back and forth, we take turns <laughs> neglecting the blog together. Um, it's, it's, <laughs> we, yeah, I think it would be an exaggeration to say that we blog, but, um, but there is a lot of old stuff on there and there's a lot of, there are seasons when we really write more. So it's, but it's Justin, my husband's name is Justin. So it's justinandtilly.com. And there was a series that I'd like to get back to on there. I was, I was doing a series of letters, sort of like the screw tape letters. Um, and I was calling it the hemlock letters. It was like a, a tempter, a, a, a demon who was tempting a woman. I just thought it'd be interesting to look at that through the lens of like temptations that are unique to women. So I did have thoughts of if I, if I get enough of those letters accumulated, I might try to, to turn that into a book. I don't know, but, um, I am kind of committed to waiting before I start another book project until I've got a year or two of, of homes, of full-time homeschooling under my belt. Cause I just, it feels like a new season and it's time to, I need to focus on that. So, um, oh, yeah. And then I have a podcast with uh, another author, Abigail Dodds, um, called home fires. And I think that I'm, I'm about to move right now. So I'm in kind of a transition season, but we're going to do a season two of that podcast, uh, hopefully this, this winter, spring time. So you can check that out. There's a lot. I do feel like there's a lot on there. Just, um, just some of this stuff about things, why, why you would make beautiful things in your home, why you would care about, um, about, spending time on, on physical stuff when, when we're spiritual and physical, you know, beings. And, um, I'm trying to think, I can't think of anything else right off my head. I'm, I'm writing some stories for my childhood down for my kids. There, there's a, there's like a canon of stories that I, that my three children will request over and over and over again, you know, like tell, 
tell us the snake story. Tell us the, you know, from when I was a kid living on a farm and I have just these, these kind of short and, you know, stories that have a beginning and a middle and an end, which is kind of hard, (laughs) you know, to come by. And I thought (laughs) that it was time to write some of them down and, and just have them in that form in case, you know, just Mm -hmm. for fun, I guess. So I'm working on that. Well, like you said earlier, to just, to do something Mm -hmm. worthwhile. Right. No matter who sees it. Right. Well, I'm so glad that you mentioned home fires and, um, and Dear Hemlock. That's what you call that series mm-hmm. on the blog because I have, those are what I have read and consumed myself. And I was like, okay. I, I hope she keeps doing that, but yeah. I totally understand the mom life thing too. Yeah. Yeah. And I totally understand taking the time to really get a solid homeschool routine and foundation yeah. done before you. Yeah, it's just like, let's get this down before we (laughs) take on something else. So, yeah. Yeah, but I really enjoyed that series was kind of, I'll come back to that series because I really, I was enjoying those too. Just the thought, kind of the thought experiment was really enjoyable. So, Yeah, well, and I thought you did a beautiful job. I loved the way it was written. I loved um, how the characters were interacting and um, it it was very convicting as well. And for it to be like set in the modern age where there's social media involvement like Mm -hmm. talking about those desires that we have or those particular things that we're tempted by I think is super helpful Mm -hmm. yeah just kind of like the original ones were I think to to just have the imagination to say what what is it that they actually want in my life like what does Satan want to see I know what Mm -hmm. you know I know what I want to see but what does he want to see and yeah it's it's helpful Well, awesome. I'm so glad that you've come on to talk with us today and and to encourage us, tell us your your story. And hopefully the listeners will go out and check your books out, check out your blog, check out Home Fires and justinandtilly.com where they write. Um, And thank you. Thank you so much for for having having us talk today. Sounds like this is a really fun community here. So sounds great. Yeah. Yep. It's it's good people. I'm constantly... constantly amazed by the emails I get just people mm-hmm. saying they needed to hear this today um Sweet. yeah guests like you make it really awesome and encouraging so thank you awesome all right we'll see you another time then Tilly thank you okay and if you wanted one of those hobbies that Tilly and I were talking about but you don't know where to start with painting or drawing please check out my video courses Brush, Chalk, and Charcoal, Foundations and Drawing, and Framing Your World. These two courses are awesome for your homeschool. This is something that even moms get and they work it themselves and then they introduce it into their homes and they just love it. Kids uh, ages six through, you know, a hundred. You can be any age working this course, uh, any of these courses. The first course will teach you the basics of brush drawing and it will introduce you to some charcoal drawing and some visual concepts that every artist needs to know. And then the second course is just a natural continuation from there. We just build on that knowledge. So I'm excited for you to get into those. Everyone loves them. There've been some awesome reviews. Here's a recent one that I got from Stephanie. She says, I'm enjoying your course, the first one thus far and have started incorporating it into my year one son's lessons. He's doing great so far 
and we spend at least three or four practice sessions on each video. He's able to make brush prints and draw lines by following your clear instructions. It's so helpful because the close-up videos make it easy to see exactly what you're doing. Thank you for making this available. You're welcome, Stephanie. And this is not the first time I've heard this. Young kids really engage with the material. Um, but like I said, these are definitely concepts that everyone can know and everyone can work. And I love that families are doing it together. Oh, a couple more things. I want you to get on my newsletter. It's on the front page of my website. Just scroll down at bestowingthebrush.com and you put your email in under the headline Brush Club Newsletter. It really is a great exclusive group to be a part of because I give you drawing lesson ideas, encouragement, and really sweet deals on all of my digital courses, especially when new ones come out. See you over on social media this week. On Instagram, I just released a reel of some nature journaling that I did, and I'll be planning to show you another way to use my picture planes that I also sell in the shop. Check those out as well on my Gumroad page, and have a great week. I hope you have some happy drawing. Bye-bye. <laughs>